0: My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Well, as everyone knows, this is uh, our mission emphasis time. Uh, We do it twice a year in the spring and in the fall, and we do it for two Sundays, and this is the second Sunday for the spring, and we're fortunate to have Josiah here with us. Uh, I just met Josiah this morning. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of information. In fact, I don't know how much information I'm supposed to give out. <laughs> so I'm going to let Josiah come and just share with you uh, any information he wants to. So my name is Josiah. I work for the International Mission Board, but I work in a high security area. So I just go by Josiah. When I speak in congregations like this, we are from, my family's from Nansen River Baptist Church, just up the road, down the road, however you want to think of it here in Virginia, in Suffolk, in the Harborview area. We've been there since 2011. Uh, There we are known affectionately as the L family, and that's what will be known here today as well, the L family. So I'd like to share a little bit with you about our ministry in West Africa, the things that God has allowed us to do. Over the course of our first term, we've just come back from our first term with the International Mission Board. Been with them since 2015 uh, there in West Africa. We were part of a theological education team. Uh, where we help to engage local churches to help them better reach their personnel. So I can't see what's behind... I'm going to leave all this in Mike's capable hands or whoever's up there turning these slides for me, and I'll just follow what he tells me to say this morning because... He's got the button. So um, you can see this picture of my family. This is our prayer card. The last one that we had, this picture is about 15 months old. There's my wife, Stephanie, and our three boys, Liam, Cade, and Jude. Uh, Jude is an interesting story. He's actually born in West Africa. Uh, he was born deaf, and God healed him. Um, so, uh, yeah. So through the... Uh, through the miracle workers at CHKD and the gifts that God has given them. He was able to get a surgery that uh, fixed that, and he's the most talkative of all three of them. Um, here's a more updated picture of myself, my wife, and my three children as well, um, and those boys are all mischief. If you look at the next one, a local a friend of ours took this picture, Unless you think that missionary families have everything together, take a look at the next one. This is more accurate. Okay, um, taking your family overseas is just like having a family in America, but you deal with different things, right? My children fight like your children fight. My wife and I have marital struggles just like you have marital struggles. We just do it in a house that's 104 degrees, okay? Okay. I'm not exaggerating that at all. Um, West Africa can be a very hot place, it's a very unforgiving place, but it is a very, very warm culture. I'd like to share a little bit about that with you today. The city that we are located in uh, through the CIA fact book is, is the sixth fastest growing city in the entire world, okay? That is, it is the fastest growing city on the African continent. And just let that sink in a little bit. In 2015, the census data was about 1.5 million. 2016, 2 million. They're adding nearly half a million people a year in the capital and the surrounding areas due to sectarian violence in portions of our country, as well as the thought process that if we could just get to the capital, everything will be okay, there will be work, and there's just not work. But the city is growing by leaps and bounds, it has greater than 3 million inhabitants, however, It is the third youngest country, according to the State Department of the United States. The median age, which means that the number of people living below that age and above that age are the same numbers, okay, is 16.2, okay? Half of the country is 16 years old or younger at this point in time. As infant mortality rates drop, it's a Muslim country. It's not uncommon to go into a village and ask an an older man, older there, 45, 50, how many children do you have And him to say uh, 30, 32? Because he has four wives according to Islamic law. He's allowed to do that, and it's an agrarian society. They are subsistence farmers. What they can grow is what they can eat. And so larger families produce more workers and so as they as they come into the capital many of these young people are moving into the capital trying to find jobs because the dry season hits for at least six months out of the year they can't do anything it's 112 degrees underneath in the shade of their villages so they go look for work and they stay in the capital which is why one of the reasons the capital is growing so quickly however it is in the top 30 most sparsely populated countries in the world okay they're all right there 15 to 16 million people, depending on the estimates that you follow and the, the accuracy of census data. But more than half of those are in the southern portion of the country, 3 million of those. So 20% of the country's population is within the capital area, within an hour's drive one side or the other, given the West African roads. 49.7% live in poverty, less than $1.90. I round it up to make it sound a little bit better, less than $2 a day. Uh, Very, very poor country. Here's a picture of the capital city street, uh, one of the roads that we drive down, and this is the capital city of West Africa. We can go to the next one. It's an even better picture of the conditions. We tried to plant a church in this neighborhood over the course of the last three years, and even though they live in poverty, they are... Some of the most joyous people, most giving people that you'll ever meet. Look at these pictures of these children. This is what the pastor of Dancer River Baptist Church, his name is Ryan. He came out on many trips over the last three years. But the children are everywhere. Median age is 16, remember? There are half the country is 16 or younger. All these children, this is in August, so they're not in school. This would not matter if it was November. This is what the street would look like anyway. All these children just smiles on their faces, bubbling with joy. However, as they grow up, they don't find work. And so you'll find groups of men such as this one who are there out drinking tea, eating lunch together, whatever. I'm not sure who's buying lunch. I've never quite figured that out. So there are many, many opportunities to just sit down with the people in the capital city who don't have work. Some estimates put unemployment as high as 80%. Okay, of working age people can't find that $2 a day to live off. So there are young men like these. These are probably high school age students who have stopped going to high school. They are working for a uh, blacksmith or a carpenter trying to learn a trade because they aren't going to go through school. They don't see the value necessarily in education. Um, Augusta mentioned the humanitarian crisis of refugees in, in Europe at this point in time. Many of these people are trying to get out, trying to teach, learn English, to find a way to a better life. This would be a group of men that would be trying to do that. So here's what some of our ministry looks like in West Africa. The man that you'll see in this picture on the left, he's a chief, and we're going to call it uh, woolly Village. Okay, he's a chief there. I should say he was a chief. This picture was taken in the fall of 2015. Um, he was an elderly man. There And one of the things that we try to do with the, the teams with whom I work is to evangelize unreached people groups. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with unreached people groups having two missions conferences a year, right? Those people who are less than 2% evangelical, less than 2% Christian, that, reach, that um, qualifies them as an unreached people group. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are portions of America that would qualify as unreached people group. The latest data I heard was that Atlanta would technically qualify as an unreached area, okay? Because one in 50 evangelical believers, okay? Theological training, that's what my job was. I worked with a theological education team based out of Dakar, Senegal. Obviously, I'm not in Senegal. I would have told you I was in Senegal. Okay, so my boss is in Senegal, and I worked closely with him to help come alongside churches who have identified leaders, train them in basic theology because they don't get that anywhere where they are. Many of them can't read. If they do, they don't have the comprehension above maybe a second grade level. Uh, and I worked with them to help them better understand basic tenets of the faith so that they could go back out in their villages, and spread that word. I'll get back to that in a minute. And then we also do community development or humanitarian aid. Um, 2017 was a very dry year. Thus, the spring of 2018 was a food shortage. And so we worked with BGR, Baptist Global Response, to bring in simply sacks of rice, things of that nature, to meet humanitarian needs while sharing the gospel. Very few chiefs will tell us, no, you can't come into this village and give my, my, my people rice. They're not going to tell you that. But we we straight up with them up front and say, hey, uh, we come with the message of Jesus, and we're going to tell them that, and they're they're willing to trade for those things. Uh, So we work alongside um, those sorts of things. If you look at the next picture, this is a picture of myself and a team of volunteers that had come out. You can see that chief that I mentioned sitting there in the bottom left-hand corner. This picture was taken in August of 2015. Before I could make it back out to that village, this chief... Passed away. It's heart-wrenching because he heard the gospel, but he did nothing with it. He rejected the gospel that day. And you can see us looking through the Bible there trying to tell him another story and yet another story. And he was happy to discuss and debate, but the interest never went beyond discussion. It never became part of his heart. And so we work in villages like the one you see behind me here in across West Africa. This is rainy season. Everything is lush. But it is very much like you walk into the Old Testament. When I walk around West Africa, I think a lot of times, like, I am literally in the Old Testament. Take a look, take a look at this donkey cart, okay? This is the modern means of transportation. This is a village, but it could very well be the capital. In the capital city of three million, I'm not exaggerating, there are probably one million motorbikes... One ninety cc little mopeds that ride around that weave around the donkey carts. Okay? Because it is such a poor area that that they have blended new world and old world and it is very much like Old Testament meets modern culture. And I mentioned theological education and training. This next picture shows a group of pastors that we brought in. We identified who, who among them could read. And through the generous donations of churches just like this, and we were able to finance the transportation of those men into the city. They're, they're hard to see. Uh, just They're African. They're just hard to see. Uh, I'm the white guy on the left. They're, and there are a couple of other guys. There's a guy uh, underneath a tree, a pastor that had come to help train and teach. You want to know how you can help out in West Africa, theological education teams? If you know how to study the Bible and can tell people how to do that, You're welcome in West Africa. We'll find you a translator. We'll translate as many times as we need to to find a way for you to communicate what God has put on your heart with these people. For instance, when I travel around, the next picture shows an example of that. When I travel around, I learned French. Okay, that's the that was. It's kind of the government language. It's, the, it's not the trade language. There's a government language of French. There's a trade language. I'm not going to tell you because it's tell you where we live. And then there are other tribal languages. One area of the country in which I worked most readily, I wrote my lessons in English because that's my, my heart language. I translated them to French. When I spoke them in French, I had another translator who translated them into the trade language. When we broke out in groups, those guys spoke their heart language from their villages. And so we trust that the Holy Spirit takes the message that I wrote in English, that he allows me to translate it accurately into French, that it makes it to the trade language, that it makes it to the heart language, that makes it to the village's heart so that he can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. But we have faith that that happens. And here is a little bit of what that looks like. Literally, we we dug the holes and put these poles up that morning and put a tarp over it so it wouldn't be sunburnt. They put the tarp up for us. (laughs) Okay. We swatted flies all day, and if you can't see it in the dirt, but I drew a picture of the tabernacle in the dirt to illustrate how it is that we have access to Jesus. Went from the high priest of the Old Testament, how we have access to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that seems pretty high. That's how you pray. You want to know how you pray? You have prayer access because Jesus died for you. The high priest had access for the people of the Old Testament so we kind of really want to make that concrete for them because they understand priestly behavior because of their Muslim context here's a picture of my family in a West African village Uh, this was taken last spring Uh, but you never know what you're going to find in a village Um, and this little boy is proof of that he's helping mom make make dinner the next picture you see there he's got a knife don't worry about it it's just normal Okay, Uh, barely crawling I got a knife my wife. Uh, some other ways that we work. I mentioned humanitarian aid and community development. My wife's taught English to the group of people that you see behind her. Here, um, they learn English to be able to go work for embassies or find better jobs or whatever it may be. They love that skill and they're willing to pay a uh, minimal amount for us—a minimal amount, about fifty dollars a semester, a trimester—to learn English. A uh, wonderful company that my wife has found. It's a, it's a group of not only our mission board, but I think three other mission boards that have come together collectively and teach English. How can you pray for us? That's, that's, you always want to know, well, what, what can we do? Prayer. Uh, Mr. Fade mentioned prayer. Augustus uh, mentioned prayer. I'm going to mention the same thing, right? How can you pray for us? Pray for our unsafe friends and acquaintances. The man that you see behind me is Ibrahima. Ibrahima is 50-something years old, 55 years old. He needs Jesus. He and I have had multiple conversations. And he constantly comes back, and he has such great questions from the New Testament and the identity of Jesus. We studied the book of Hebrews together at sacrifice time. And he says, there's just a little difference between what we believe. Uh, No, sir, there's a really big difference between what we believe. But he's seeking, but he always says, I'm just confused, because he hears one thing at the mosque, and he hears me say another, and he's confused. His wife is here with their youngest son, uh, Sauti, and his wife. Um, she's considerably younger than he is, just cultural. The next man you see is our, was my French teacher. Actually, when I was sitting over there this morning, I just got an email from him greeting me. Um, it's, it's hard to see that picture anyway, because he's silhouetted there. And then the next guy, his name is Jacoba. Yakuba owns a hardware store. This is at our son's baby naming ceremony. They name their babies a week after they're born because infant mortality rates and things like that. Um, They gave my son the name that meant God is among us. I was like, oh, we have a word like that too. And I explained Emmanuel and was able to share the gospel with them. So pray for our unsaved friends. Also, you can pray for us as we work with these theological education uh, partners, the existing churches among whom we work, church leaders to follow sound Bible doctrine. We want them to know the truth and also desire to see their fellow countrymen saved, we're finding that the Christian culture, the tiny little bit of Christian culture and the Muslim culture, they're not even, they don't even speak the same language oftentimes. Literally, they have different words that they use for things. So they don't always reach. There are very few Muslim background believers within the local churches, which is a problem. The gospel needs to go out into the cities at the, through the mouths and the hands of the locals. And then finally, our family, as we seek to return to Africa sometime this summer, that date is a little bit in flux, just we have to get certain clearances. The IMB takes very good care of us and makes sure that when we go back, we're very healthy. So there's some things that we need to do for my son as he uh, seeks. We need to make sure that his ears are still working, things of that nature. So just pray for us as we go. He asked, like, how did you end up in West Africa? I wake up every morning in West Africa and ask myself the same thing. Okay? How did I get here today? Like, what, what in my life brought me to this moment? Well, the reality is I was actually contemplating this. I was a high school chemistry teacher in, Suffolk, in Chesapeake, actually, in the western branch area of Chesapeake at Stonebridge School. I taught high school chemistry and did uh, student life, did discipline, things of that nature. How, do, how does an AP chemistry teacher end up teaching people in West Africa under a tarp about the tabernacle? That, that's, just, that's just an odd, odd jump. Like you weren't, in, you weren't in ministry. I wasn't a youth pastor. I was the volunteer worship leader at Nansen River Baptist for three years, but that really was part of That was after I decided we, my wife and I had contemplated going overseas. How do you do that? Obedience. One day at a time, obedience. How did you know it was God's will for your life? That's a great question. Let's look this morning about knowing God's will. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1. The church of Colossae was not founded by Paul. It was founded by a friend of his uh, named Epaphras. During Paul's, I believe, first missionary journey. We're going to start in verse 9. Paul is writing a letter to them, most likely from prison, talking to them about... His prayer for them in verse 7, he says, You've learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He's a faithful minister to Christ on your behalf and has made it known to us, your love in the Spirit. And he gets to verse 9 and he says, And so... From the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray this morning before we study this passage deeper. God, I thank you so much for this church and their, the opportunity to be among them today. God, I pray for them as they seek to be missionally minded. Uh, in their outreach and in their daily walks. Father, I pray this morning as we study your word, that your spirit would just move in our hearts to to highlight to us the areas that we need to change. And Father, to encourage us as we do so. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we see the prayer to live within God's will. That's what Paul says. He he says verse 9, And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. The NIV says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you through the knowledge of his will, through all the spirit and understanding that the spirit brings. Okay, or verse 9 here, that's another translation. This is not merely a feeling or an idea. Oh, I feel like God wants me to go to West Africa. Don't do that, okay? No, I feel like God wants me to walk across the street and tell my neighbor about Jesus. No, God commanded you to walk across the street and tell your neighbor about Jesus. He... Don't feel that. It's not an idea. It's not this ethereal thing that's just out there, and maybe it makes some sense. But let's look here. It is a thorough knowledge leading to obedience. Thorough knowledge leading to obedience in daily living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to that Holy Spirit portion here in a bit. Thorough knowledge leading to obedience. So we have to exercise this same understanding. Paul's prayer for them would be no different, for us would be no different than it was for them. So so what is God's will? uh, It was God's will that we go to West Africa. What's God's will for you? Well, what is God's will? God's will, simply put, is his desire for our lives as defined within Scripture. God's desire for our lives as defined within Scripture. We can move on and look at some, some passages here. Uh, Colossians 3.16. Let's move forward to that one, please. Um, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. You're like, wait, wait, that doesn't say anything about the word of God, the will of God. No, but let's look at uh, Ephesians 5. 17 through 21, and maybe it'll be a little bit clearer. Literally, he says, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing making music from your heart to the Lord. Uh, so Colossians said, understand the will of the Lord. Speak to each other with songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Ephesians, Paul says it a little bit differently, but it's the same thing. Understand the will of the Lord. Understand God's will, and it's to do these things. to so speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. In other words, be filled with the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be in the Word, so that's what comes out of you. Sometimes it's a little clearer, right? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 and three and four it is God's will okay that's pretty simple it is God's will that you should be sanctified set apart holy separate that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable what is God's will for your life teenager it's this what is God's will for your life married person it's this it says it you can walk around wondering what does God want me to do this God wants you to possess your, be- your vessel, your body in honor. Avoid sexual immorality. But here's the thing. God's will doesn't stop just for the believer. That's not where it ends. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 tells us something else about how, God, what is God's will for the unbeliever. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting or willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Perhaps you hear this morning like, these people are nuts. They're talking about going on a boat in South America. They're talking about giving 2 billion Bibles out across the world. That's a lot of money that we could use for something else. Perhaps you're thinking that this morning. And this guy is taking his three kids to West Africa. Yeah. But here's what God wants for you. God's not, he doesn't want you to die in your sin. He's asking you to become a believer. This is God's will for the world. He's not wanting any should perish, but that all, everyone should come to repentance. You say, but okay, that's what it means to live in God's will, right? Okay, so I'm obedient day by day to what God has me to do, but why? Let's look at the goal. The goal of living in God's will Paul tells the Colossians in verse 10, quite simply, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Live in God's will over here so that you can live a life. Let's look at that verse together on the screen here. So that you can live a life worthy of the Lord. Why this? To live a life worthy of God. What does that mean? What does it mean to live a life that's worthy of God? Well, it's fully pleasing to God in every area. A life that is fully pleasing to God in every area. In pleasing God, we have to remember this. Pleasing God is not simply going through the motions of what appears to be spiritual activity. Let's read that together. The point is on the screen. Let spiritual life worthy of the Lord... It's pleasing God. It is not simply going through the motions of what appears to be spiritual activity. And Paul actually says this in Ephesians 6, verse 6. So he's talking to slaves about in their relation to their masters. It says, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. You can't do it on your own. I mentioned earlier we are going to talk more about the Holy Spirit. And many of you know this morning that you say, "Well, what I live in the spirit and what does that do?" It's a you have the fruit of the spirit. A life that is lived within the will of God through the power of the Holy Spirit will bear spiritual fruit. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 through 19. 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You are strengthened in your inner being through the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and know know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, hey, you are not strengthened on your own. He says this numerous times that it's not you. He says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that it is God who sanctifies. It is God who sets us apart as the Holy Spirit works within us. God does that work for us. No amount of external fruit that I tape to my body changes it. We can go out here to these trees and I can tape oranges and apples to them or even glue it on the stem so it looks like it's there. And that didn't come from that tree. It has to come from the heart. It has to come from the inside, from your DNA, from your spiritual DNA, as we'll look at being born in the Spirit. A life lived in the Spirit is an obtainable goal. We often don't think that it is, but we can often feel we are too sinful for that to be our reality. We can live in the Spirit. In these moments of failure, we can forget how it is that the Spirit has come to live in us in the first place. But Paul reminds the Colossians in verses 12 through 14 of how this happened for them to begin with. Colossians 1, verse 12. Giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified to you, qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That word qualified there, qualified. It's translated from a Greek word meaning to render fit or make sufficient. Paul uses this same verse when he's discussing his apostolic authority in, verse, uh, in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants. It's that same word. God has made us adequate. God has qualified us. Paul uses this word here to them. Giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you, made you adequate, or rendered you fit to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And how did he do that? Well, he delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Believers are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom. Okay? In other words, we are over here in our sin. We live in our sin. And the kingdom of God is over there so far away that we could never approach it on our own. God himself stepped into this world to take us to that one. We didn't come over here looking for God. God sent Jesus out of this world into the other world in order to save us, which is what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, right? 2 Corinthians 5 is that great writing of Paul where he says that uh, the love of God controls him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he goes on in verse 17, and we all know chapter 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have come new. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God. We stop at 17 a lot. And sometimes we get to 21, but we miss that middle part. All, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making an appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I could have spoken on this this morning, right? This is what God has told us to do, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. I'm an ambassador of this church, sent out by this church through the International Mission Board to take the gospel to West Africa. You are an ambassador sent out to wherever it is that you go by Jesus Christ. To take the message of reconciliation, that God was over here, walked over there to save us, to take us back over here. That's essentially what the gospel is. In verse 21, he made sin to him, God, Jesus made. God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took our sin, placed it on Jesus, gave us the righteousness of Jesus, and allows us to approach him. This is how we can follow what God's will is for our life because we have been changed. The Holy Spirit renders us capable of doing this because our lives, we are no longer dead. Verse 17, we are new creations. We are born again. Our DNA has been changed. Who we are bears fruit. When I was in college, I spent the summers at home in Indiana. I'm from Indiana been down here about 10 years now. Uh, my father was a postal worker. He carried mail, and um, he would come up with awesome ideas, and by that I mean projects for us to do around the house. In one particular summer, we had a wet basement. Uh, basements aren't really a thing here, but we in the north, we have a lot of basements, and so it was very wet. And so he was trying to come up with a way for the water to get out of the basement. It just kind of would get wet. It wouldn't flood or anything. It was more of a dungeon. So he had this great idea that we could cut trenches through the concrete and put pipes in and put a new pump underneath there in order to better facilitate the water removal and have a dry basin so we could store things. It's really not worth anything. There's just one problem with working in the basement. Here's a picture of my dad in the basement. It's short. Okay? It literally comes to here. On us. you can see the next picture of my father we have to get under this beam, it's a problem so dad had the bright idea that there was a, a friend of mine was living with us that summer his father had taken a job in China so my brother is a year younger than I am in school and my friend is the same age as me as I am and dad said, okay, we're going to go down there we're going to bust a trench in the basement floor from here, it's probably about 15 feet okay, great, good idea, dad well, uh, you saw how tall it is so that consisted of the three of us and my dad supervising, because that was his job, to use a sledgehammer and cut through eight inches of concrete and dirt and dig it all out for 15 feet while sitting on a five-gallon bucket, <laughs> swinging an eight-pound sledge, because that's all you could do. You could, and so every night, we'd be on the chain gang down in the basement, and we would bust through the concrete, and we would maybe get six inches a night, just because you had to dig it. It was so hard. Taking turns, you just couldn't swing. It was just really hard to do. And so I lost most of that summer in the basement. It, it was a considerable amount of time and days, maybe six weeks in college summers or, you know, 12 weeks or whatever. So it was half my summer down in there over the course of the year. Well, it fixed the problem on that side unfortunately the basement has like three little edges and so I get home for Christmas and my dad says hey uh, we got to bust the basement again I got water on the other side and I said this is not a good idea this is a horrible idea and dad says to me oh, I got a solution I rented a jackhammer oh awesome so he says but you, you're going to run it so he plugged it in and off I go with the jackhammer electric jackhammer you know I'm not real big but I, I managed it and in about 30 minutes time I did 30 feet, and I shut it off, and I said, hey, Dad, how much did this cost you? About $45. I said, let me just make sure I understand this. For $45, I could have had my whole summer back. Do you know how many Bible studies I could have gone to with my girlfriend during that six weeks of time? And he just looked at me and grinned, like, what's he going to say? What was the difference? What was the difference? Had the right tools. I had power in my hand. Before, it was me and my friends sitting on a five-gallon bucket with a sledgehammer, barely making headway, if at all. And the second time, I had power in my hand whereby I could do the job that Dad had given me to do. Do you know spiritual life is a lot like that? On our own, we can do nothing because we're dead we're dead in our trespasses and sins but the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us you say how is it that God's going to give me the ability to do what he's asking me to do the power of the Holy Spirit living inside you but here's the problem many times we look at our spiritual activity and we figuratively see ourselves sitting on a five gallon bucket swinging the sledgehammer of our spiritual activity at the concrete of our sin problem and we just get nowhere Because we'll never do it on our own. See, you know, I kind of feel like God wants me to walk across the street and tell my neighbor about Easter Sunday. Holy Spirit gives you the power to do that. You know, I kind of feel like maybe I should go down to South America on Logos Hope and, and share the gospel with some people who just need it. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to do that. You know, I really need to break up with my girlfriend because as 1 Thessalonians says, I'm living in sin. And I'm just scared of what that's going to be. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to do that. If you're afraid to obey today, you don't have to do it on your own. Every day that I woke up in West Africa, I was tempted to do it on my own. And unfortunately, I can confess to you that there are a lot of days that I tried. You know, I went through a time about a month ago where... Yeah, I, Actually, up until a month ago, we came home in late winter. And up until about a month ago, I just didn't want to go back. God, I don't want to go back. You know I don't want to go back. just didn't feel very effective. It's hard. It's hot. It's hard on my kids and my family. And, and I just, as just being back in home church has been really helpful and very encouraging to us. And just reading through what God asked Jesus to do on the cross. And Jesus just prays right Father, not your will but mine, as he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. And Jesus prays there, and God gives him the strength to go to the cross. Whatever it is that God is asking me to do, he gives us the strength to do it. And I'll tell you today that I'm, I'm not in that place anymore where God doesn't want, where I'm struggling with what to do. Because the reality is God needed to regrip my heart for lostness. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, God has said, no. There's tension to stay in America, but these people over here need Jesus. And who's going if you don't go? And I don't know that answer. And that's what God has called us to do. And so that's God's will for my life because I know in obedience that is what he's laid on my heart. And he gives me the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. And so God has called us to do certain things, and we have the Holy Spirit inside us to go do that. So I'm going to ask you a question. So what? What What does this mean? Paul prayed for them. Well... Are you living within the expressed will of God? You've got to ask yourself that. Let's look at it from a negative perspective. Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Okay, simply, okay. We looked at 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not wanting anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you repented of your sin and are trusting in Jesus for your salvation this morning? That's God's will for your life. Is there an area in your life where you're refusing to submit to the The will of God is revealed in Scripture. You know that Scripture says that what you're doing is wrong. Don't ever ask God to tell you what he wants you to do and expect that you're going to have clarity in that when you're living in sin in one area. James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The gospel say that nobody can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other, love the one, despise the other. It doesn't work that way. If you want to know what God wants you to do and where he wants you to go... To take care of the things that we know clearly first are you doing what you're supposed to do now let's look at it from a positive perspective is there something I feel like God's leading me to do that I'm not doing like what could I be doing Like, do I, what sin do I need to get rid of what am I doing that I'm not supposed to do or what could I be doing what could I be adding we could also ask this am I doing what I'm supposed to do the first one, or the first one am I doing what I'm supposed to do the second one am I where I'm supposed to be Everybody needs to ask that question all the time, right? Whether, whether you're a missionary in West Africa, am I where God wants me to be? Or whether you're the worship leader up here on Sunday morning or a Sunday school teacher. And perhaps Sunday school is not where you're supposed to be. And you, you what? Perhaps Sunday school's not where you're supposed to be. Perhaps, one, God is maybe calling you somewhere else. Or two, there's somebody in your, in your seat that is a better teacher and you just don't want to give it up. And what? God is asking you to sit in that chair and let that other person speak. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's that simple. To follow the will of God It's to do what God has you to do. Are you doing what you're supposed to doing? Are you where you're supposed to be? Because if we continue to go, and if we do this on our own, we'll always fail. And Paul knows that. Paul tells the Colossians straightforward. He doesn't leave this whole idea of discussing the will of God without illustrating to them that it's through the Father, giving them the Spirit, saving them through Jesus. He doesn't separate those things, and neither should we. So I do want to ask you this morning, in reflection of these questions, perhaps there is somebody here this morning who who wants to be saved. I'm not sure what happens after this, the, the order of service, but I'm sure that there are multiple people who would love to talk to you about that, including myself. Perhaps there are some of us who need to kneel at the steps or at our pew and confess sin that we have in our lives that we know is hindering us from understanding God's pure and clear will for us. Or perhaps God's calling you overseas, and you don't really know what that looks like or feels like. I'd love to talk to you about that, ways that you can join the board, uh, or short-term things, or there are people in your church that can let you know of outreach that they have here. But I don't want us to go away from this morning not understanding that God's will for us is clearly defined in Scripture. Whatever that is for your life, some of it's clearly defined and some of it is specific to you. But you will only know that as the Holy Spirit leads it through in your life and empowers you to do that. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your word and the clarity that we can find in it, God, that every day that your mercies are new that every day your spirit can inform us as, it is, as to what it is that we are supposed to be doing so that at the end of the day we can know that we have lived a life that is pleasing to you and at the end of our lives you can say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Father, I pray this morning for any that are here who need to repent of their sin and trust in you. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and save them this morning. And if there are others who are seeking your will, I pray that you would give them the strength to rely on the Holy Spirit. To follow you wherever it is that you are leading, and we pray all these things in Christ's name, Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at Bacon'sCastle.com. Also, check out our website at Bacon'sCastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.